0: Hey listeners, it's Paul Andriola here. Why not join our community at Small Cap Discoveries where we offer our members direct access to some of the best microcap investment opportunities available. Our members are getting access to premium microcap financings, research reports, and direct access to management. Sign up today at www.smallcapdiscoveries.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Small Cap Discoveries conference call. Today on our call, we have the CEO, Richard Adair, and Simon Giannakis, the CFO from Pluribus Technologies, to give us an overview on the company. Uh, Pluribus trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol PLRB. The company is currently trading at $1.62, with roughly 16 million shares outstanding, or about a $26 million market cap. I'd now like to hand it over to Paul Andriola. Hey, thanks a lot, Trevor. Um, yeah, great to get to know Pluribus, uh, a name that we are not super familiar with, but we had a chance to talk with uh, Simon, I believe uh, several months ago. Um, so it's great that you guys have uh, come to join us today and, and uh, tell us all about the company. So I'll hand it over to you. You guys have a presentation deck.
1: Uh, start start as you, uh, as you will. Okay, great. Thanks, uh, Trevor and Paul. So we're going to give a bit of our backgrounds and then go into uh, an overview of Plervus. <clears throat> so I'm a uh, CEO and co-founder. Uh, I've been in technology companies for 30 years. Uh, first half of my career was restructurings and turnarounds. So we'd go into distressed technology businesses, usually cut some costs and work with creditors and then eventually sell them to strategics. So lots of M&A in that period. And I was CFO, COO in about 20 companies in uh, 15 years, uh, all different verticals, all different technologies. So it makes me very vertical agnostic when it comes to acquisitions. And we've we've taken that approach at Pluribus. Uh, the second half of my career, the goal was to have some capital to grow a business and not just package it up. So I joined in 2006, a company called Stability Solutions, also on the Venture Exchange. And it's a, a good model for Pluribus. It was two little software companies in InsurTech and HealthTech, combined about two and a half million in revenue, we had a $30 million market cap at that point. We ended up uh, eventually selling those two businesses for about $175 million and really grew through a combination of acquisitions and organic growth, particularly organic growth through channel partnerships, which I'll talk about later on.
2: Uh, and I'll pass it over to Simon. And, and good afternoon and thanks to everyone uh, for joining us today. Uh, Yeah, so Simon Gianakis joined Pluribus uh, in June of 2021 and been a busy time as we're gonna get to in our presentation. So we went public on the venture exchange at the beginning of 2022. Uh, We've completed four acquisitions in um, 2022 and five in 2021 and a couple financings along the way. So definitely a a busy time here at Pluribus. Uh, Prior to joining, I'd spent the last eight years with House Systems, a software consolidator on the TSX, primarily in an M&A role. Uh, So there I was able to, you know, lead uh, 35 plus uh, acquisitions and, and integrate them into the the various Enchhouse uh, verticals, helping the business grow revenue during that eight year period from around hundred million to 500 million. So, uh, you know, definitely uh, met Richard and I liked his um, model at Pluribus which we're gonna which we're gonna get into so i decided to uh come aboard and 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 help the business uh accomplish you know hopefully um over the longer term the same type of traction we did in anchos so i'll turn it over to uh you richard you can start taking us through the story okay thanks simon uh and
1: simon the, there was a question to increase your microphone if you can turn it up there um, i did you okay but uh sounds like it's a bit faint so uh, okay, so uh, a lot of people ask where does the name Plerbis come from? It comes from ePlerbis Unum, which is on the U.S. dollar bill out of many one. So it's a neat Latin word for a roll-up. And so uh, we are buying small, profitable technology businesses that are B2B in different verticals, and then rolling them up into one group. So we differentiate ourselves mainly based based on the fact that we're all entrepreneurs and we've we've run small to medium sized technology companies we understand what it takes to run a business like that Uh, there's never a straight line it's a lot of work and so really when we talk to founders we're saying look we're operators as well we're going to come in and help you realize your vision we're going to help you take the business to the next level that you can see but you haven't known how to do or haven't had the capital to do or the expertise as opposed to some of the traditional private equity or strategic acquires, where they might come in and change everything, let go of people, close offices, and really um, don't uh, enable the founder to realize their vision. So I think that's our biggest differentiator. So, as Simon said, been very busy uh, since we started in 2018. Uh, We did our first deals in 2019, and and the types of deals we've done changed over time. So in 2019, we did three small deals uh, InsureTech, uh, HealthTech, and an e learning company. And uh, they're all one to two million in revenue, uh, 30% EBITDA. And in every one of them, the founder was leaving, if not immediately, within 12 months. So the model was really buy these businesses, prove we could transition founders, keep customers, keep employees, and then start to grow them uh, at a nominal rate, 5%, 10%. So we were really pushing growth based on a rule of 40 that was heavily acquisition focused and then a little bit of growth in these businesses. Uh, 2020, COVID hit and uh, forced us to relook our acquisition strategy. We were even lucky at a property company in the UK at the time and, and backed away from that. But we felt that we had a company in e-learning, the learning network. Uh, We're in the space, we had some management there. Uh, We should focus on e-learning because that was benefiting from COVID. So we did our second e-learning acquisition, Logic Bay in September that year. And that was the first time we really had some financial backing. The first three deals were friends, family, colleagues, bank debt, preferred shares from vendors. In 2020, Canaccord came in and did a non-brokered private placement for five and a half million. So uh, we felt we had backing, and as you can see, the result of that in 2021 is we did five deals, so really accelerated what we were doing uh, as we had a partner that could raise us capital. And in terms of those deals, we continued to focus on e-learning. So ICOM, Skillshare, and Pathways were all e-learning companies. We bought our first e-commerce company, Power, and then we bought DocMoto, which is in-digital enablement, but is a document management company out of the UK, so our first UK acquisition we then, as Simon said, went public in 2022. Um, to date, we had raised about 25 million in equity, and we raised another 25 when we went public. Uh, with that, we did four acquisitions. Casman uh, was our first ed tech company, Social Five, our second e commerce, Tortle, our sixth e learning, and then Ronwood, our first uh, property related business in the UK. It's the one we looked at in 2020 and we revisited in 2022. Once we understood the impact of COVID on them, uh, and I think the the difference along the way is doing slightly larger deals. So we we really figured out that unless it's a tuck-in, five to seven million in revenue is a sweet spot um, in terms of picking up some management, uh, you know, less customer concentration, uh, different markets they can be in, and also founders. So as opposed to the founders leaving right away, in uh, I think seventy percent of our our deals since the first year. Either the found, one founder stayed on or a management team that was really running the business stayed on. So it makes it much more scalable where we're not going in and running them, running them ourselves and uh, and takes us forward. So uh, during that period, 13 companies, $74 million in capital, of which 50 was equity, 24 was bank debt. We've been funding initially with BMO and now with National, 50% of the purchase price uh, and uh, um, on a very fast growth trajectory. So in terms of the three areas we focus on are three pillars. Obviously, we're an acquisition focused company. So we're looking to buy these small profitable B2B technology companies. As I said, five to seven million is a sweet spot. We don't go over 10 simply because we'd have to pay up significantly for that. And uh, we've been in the four to six time EBITDA range and you can't really um, get uh, that kind of value above 10 million. So we're we're focusing on the liquid part of the market. Uh, The integration part is really important. So uh, buying a business that's run one way, uh, owner-operator business, and then professionalizing them and putting in place the controls and procedures and and structure to support growth is a a big part of our value add. Uh, And during that period, we're not only figuring out what we have and establishing the culture, we're developing sales and marketing strategies, product roadmaps, and uh, and taking the business uh, forward, getting ready for growth. And then optimization, uh, we work with the management teams now in place to put together growth plans uh, that can take us forward and increase EBITDA margins by growing very profitably. So our playbook, we buy these companies. Um, Oftentimes, these small ones don't have a sales pipeline. And if they do, it's not very robust. So we come in and review that. A big part of our value add is cross-selling so we can get their products into customers of our other businesses. And really, we're professionalizing the operations. Um, so for example, a lot of companies, despite being software companies, don't have scheduled releases, don't have a roadmap. They're just sort of building stuff when customers ask. So we we treat them much like more like a regular technology company with those sort of commitments and accountabilities. Uh, in terms of marketing, uh, we use our e-commerce companies. Power and Social Five to help generate leads for these businesses. Uh, They all complain about the same thing. We don't have enough leads that turn into new customers. We spent some money on sales and marketing and digital marketing, it didn't work. So we're able to use our sister companies to add value and create leads for them. Uh, In terms of offshore development resources, uh, Akesan, our tech company has an office in Albania and Power, our e-commerce company has one in Kazakhstan. So these are captive offices. These are not third party offshore companies from India, for example, uh, where there's high turnover and it's hard to manage. These are uh, employees of uh, the company and or full-time contractors that are managed locally uh, with people that are part of our group. So a lot of these small companies don't do offshore because they don't know how to do it or they've not been successful. So we can enable them to do that and get their cost structure down. Uh, In terms of our our consolidation strategy, we'll go into the e-learning group shortly. But really, uh, what we want to do is buy companies within a vertical, combine them into one, have one single management team, one sales team selling the products and services, and have all their products integrated. So we want to have a bigger business that can compete better than the individual parts. And then the other thing we do, which I think is fairly unique, we engage the founders with some success fees to go and find other acquisitions. They understand the market. They have a network. They understand the needs of the business and the gaps we have. And when they call up a founder, uh, they get their calls returned because they can say, "Look, you know, I'm, I'm in your space. Uh, see what you're doing. Uh, you know, you're in uh, manufacturing. I'm in accounting. Just sold our business to Pluribus. You know, if you're ever interested in talking about succession planning, you should talk to Pluribus." And uh, so we're really trying to create uh, relationships that result in acquisitions. More so than participating in auctions led by uh, agents and uh, investment banks. So, as I mentioned, uh, in terms of cross-selling, uh, you can see we have lots of good logos of businesses we work with in all our different verticals. And so, really, we always structure earnouts. Uh, as not only a way to bridge value gap with founders, but to incent them to stay around and and support uh, what we're trying to do in terms of growth. And really, um, the unique advantage we have with that is large enterprises don't like to add vendors. There's such a hassle with compliance and security. They'd rather buy more products and services from existing certified vendors. So we're able to go into larger companies that are clients of ours and say, hey, uh, for example. Um, uh, Sonic is the largest uh, uh, customer for our health tech company, uh, Telemed. We were able to go in there and say, hey, you know, we bought uh, these e-learning companies. Can we help you with your e-learning? And through our relationship, was able to go in there and start building courses for them. So uh, the learning network never would have, A, identified that as a target and B, probably gotten in there. So we're able to say to founders, when we have an earnout, we can bring you into all these logos and, and make the earn have teeth because there's a real chance to get warm conversations very quickly as opposed to long sales cycles. So recent acquisitions, uh, as I talk about, these would be the 2022 acquisitions. Casting uh, Group was our first ed tech company that reflected in our e-learning results, uh, but uh, they're not corporate. All our other businesses were corporate training. And so, really, uh, when we bought this, we thought we'd like to get in that side of the market if we could find some strong operators that had a unique value prop. And really, they're focused on how do we solve the teaching shortage, and uh, they have different products to do that: Teachway, Classroom, and Schooly. I'm going to get into that value prop a little bit later on. Uh, But very good management team and a a very large market that is growing very quickly. Uh, There's a massive teacher shortage. So in terms of Social5, our second e-commerce company, the idea around this was they are very complementary to Power's customer base. So Power is basically uh, plug for small to medium-sized businesses in marketplaces like Shopify and Wix. Uh, Social5 manages uh, social media for small to medium-sized businesses, so the same uh, target companies. And uh, they have a very strong sales culture of selling these small businesses. So we felt that their sales expertise and up on sales would marry very well with Power's ability to drive customers to their apps, and that uh, we'd have a more fulsome offering of social media management plus uh, website optimization and conversions. Tortal, as I said, was our sixth e-learning company. Uh, This one's interesting because they're very strong in franchisors and franchisees. So really, they built their whole business around providing a learning management system and courses to onboard on franchisees to help them sell, uh, help them to generate traffic. And so uh, growing their software sales in that space, it's it's a fairly um, lucrative white space. A lot of the franchisors that they're signing up aren't established ones. they're They're new ones that are growing very quickly. So we just don't have learning programs and you know we can kind of start with them at the beginning and, and sell them software and uh, courses and services as well. Then Rowanwood, uh, as I said, our property uh, related acquisition in the UK. So Rowanwood uh, actually are people I worked with before when I was at Symbility, the company I mentioned. Um, they basically provide asset management software for community housing uh, in the UK right now, just in the UK. So basically uh, as opposed to the cities, the local authorities, which would be like town councils here uh, in North America, use this uh, software to uh, inventory all their properties and then determine the lifetime cost to maintain them and then schedule that maintenance and and look at the ROI on if you change a boiler at this point in time, you're gonna save this much in energy, et cetera, et cetera. So a uh, very strong business, very great footprint in the UK and uh, Really our second property-related acquisition as Assured Software is also in the space, though they're focused uh, specifically on insurance claims. So the plan for growth, uh, we're in a large market. So uh, application software is 225 billion. Uh, We're in fast growing verticals. So e-learning, e-commerce, health tech are all growing rapidly. And so we think that we have large TAMs and we're buying good businesses in those verticals. And I think the the thing that I always like to uh, reinforce for people is if you think about B2B software in particular, uh, that market started in the 80s with IBM, Microsoft, and all the founders who started their software companies in the 80s are all retiring now. And most of them don't have succession plans. They don't have kids that are running the business. So there's a a huge supply of companies uh, and uh, plenty to go around in the consolidated market for technology companies. So we have great demographics right now. So in terms of targeting the rule of uh, 40, as I said, initially it was about five to 10% organic growth and then 30 to 35% from acquisition. Um, We're now looking at how do we grow in this environment organically faster than we originally uh, positioned with the market as we ramp up to do our next round of acquisitions. So from an acquisition point of view, we've given guidance, for doing five, that the fifth would move into early this year. So we are uh, expecting to meet that guidance and are working on that fifth acquisition. At the current share price, we're not looking to raise money, it's too dilutive. So we're really looking to build intrinsic value in the meantime so that when it comes time to raise money again and the market comes back and our share price is up, we've proven that we can not only buy businesses, but that we can grow them at accelerated rates by investing in our key verticals. So we're we're making bets essentially, um, not huge bets, but bets and in investing in e-learning, ed tech and e-commerce. So in terms of e-learning, um, this is really the playbook for us on how we wanna do things. So we spent, about a year and a half buying the uh, the six companies listed up above. The second year was integrating them all into one company under one brand, the Learning Network. And as I said, one senior management team, one sales team, all the products and services integrated. And the phase three is to promote growth. So we have a good management team. We want to invest in growth strategies, as I said, to grow faster than 5 to 10%. And so for the e-learning group, they are focusing on the US market. So what we've really found is that the pure learning management system software market is commoditized now, and uh, there's lots of competition and prices are, are going down, not up. So we felt, how do we differentiate ourselves with what we have? And uh, we've got very successful companies that have created learning solutions, not leading with the software, but with the custom course creation. And so we've had great examples of that in Canada with companies like PureLater and TD and Suncor. And we're now targeting the U.S. market to do the same thing. And we're leveraging existing um, logos that we have from that other slide that are U.S. clients that our other businesses have. We're taking clients here in, in Canada that can take us to the U.S. So we did some work with TD in Canada and now TD Wealth Management, the U.S. is using us. And then we're doing campaigns uh, around this content First strategy in the U.S., and we're very excited about that growth strategy. So in terms of EdTech, as I mentioned, they're looking to solve the teacher shortage. And really what we did last year is how do we wrap that together? Because they basically had three different products for three different areas of the market with three different buyers. And so our thesis was if we can lead with we solve the teacher shortage and here's how we can do it. We can get to higher level decision makers. So particularly in the US, we're dealing with principals and superintendents by putting our value prop and marketing it to solve in the teacher shortage uh, globally, we're getting to higher level decision makers at uh, ed- education centers of excellence. So that's where the superintendents in a, a district will report up to. And they are bigger decision makers that are trying to bring technology and promote ways to solve the learning loss problem from COVID. So we're finding really great success with that. And the conversation is, look, you need teachers. There's three ways we can solve that problem. We can use TeachWay, our recruitment platform, to find you full-time teachers. And we've got about one and a half million in our database and 50,000 a month signing up. So it's it's really a, a job board that can help you recruit. Uh, We can create new teachers using our classroom product. Basically, we can certify teachers online and create teachers and or licensed people who are teaching in classrooms that aren't certified. And then we can give you access. So our online tutoring platform, Schooly, comes with a bank of teachers that do part-time tutoring. We can give you access to other geographies to get you some support for your current workforce. So we're very excited about this. We're seeing a lot of uh, great response to this from districts, um, not only in North America, but internationally. And we're very excited about this uh, growth opportunity for Casper yes. Then in terms of e-commerce, so I, I kind of explained what Power and Social 5 do, specifically with Power, when we bought the business, um, we felt they were very B2B2C in terms of the small to medium-sized businesses in marketplaces like Shopify. the The annual contract value was quite low, uh, less than a thousand dollars a year, and so we felt if we could somehow focus on making them more B2B or maybe go up up uh, scale a little bit in the SME market, we could get that ACV up. And so uh, there's two steps to that. One is uh, you can't really sell B2B software to somebody if they're downloading a bunch of individual apps, which is how it works in in the marketplace. So they spent last year creating a platform called PowerOne, which has all their best features and functions from their apps in one platform that somebody can buy. And then secondly, uh, we wanted to find other distribution channels. They're uh, selling those now in Shopify and Wix and BigCommerce and WooCommerce. But we're leveraging the social five team to sell that uh, outbound sales to small to medium sized businesses that aren't in those marketplaces and the advantage of that is when you're in a marketplace your pricing is limited because people can go look at the other apps that are out there and packages and you really can't charge much more but when you sell outbound you're selling to small businesses that don't have that pricing reference point and really are buying on on value and what the ROI is. And and their reference point is a bit different. Even the companies we bought initially, like and Assured, and TLN, they're spending $750 a month on SEO and Google AdWords and not getting the leads they want. But they're prepared to spend $250, $500, $750 a month to figure out how to get the leads they want. So the reference point is a lot different, and you're able to charge much more outside of the marketplaces so we've got those two channels we're very excited about the growth opportunity to better serve these small to medium-sized business market and i'll pass it to simon
2: yeah thanks richard Um, so with this slide and and the next one we're going to give you some highlights of our 2021 results Mm -hmm. and in 2022 so you can see just the trajectory you know starts to uh, increase significantly in two thousand and twenty-one, which is when we did our um, five acquisitions, and as well we we crossed the threshold of being EBITDA positive in uh, in Q three of uh, two thousand and twenty-one. Um, as as far as the the balance sheet, you know, with cash on hand and, and available committed um, debt financing from our from our term facility with National Bank, we do have the financing in place to to complete that that position. So as we move to 2022, you can see the, you know, again, positive trajectory uh, and positive trajectory to EBITDA. Um, the only commentary I would give give here is there is some seasonality to the business, specifically the e-learning vertical, both on the corporate training side and the EdTech side. So they generally have um, stronger second halves than, than first halves due to the... Um, the, the purchasing cycle for their, their products, and, and specifically Kessin, they typically have a, a very seasonally strong Q3 uh, that ties to the start of the school year uh, and, and, and the recruiting of teachers that would go along with that. Um, with this slide, you know, this is all public information, but a couple things uh, to give some commentary on. Uh, so from a um, a shares out outstanding standpoint, 16 million shares um, in terms of uh, dilutive securities. So there's mm-hmm. some warrants that mostly relate to the uh, private financing that we did in March 2021 that would um, expire, um, um, I, I think, at the very beginning of 2024. Uh, and then the the remaining piece of that is, um, you know, kind of a, a, a normal, um, you know, management board stock option plan up to 10% of the issued outstanding shares. Uh, the exercise prices for um, the dilutive options and and securities range from generally four to $6 per share. Um, the other thing to highlight here is just uh, there is skin in the game uh, between the management team and, and the board that we're gonna go into next with with 14% direct ownership as far as the management team here um they all have experience working in uh you know a a, a software m a focused company so acquisitions dealing with integrations um there's a lot of bench strength here uh, amongst the team uh and good continuity most of the team here has been um here from the beginning of pluribus uh as far as the the board again good good board um good continuity um you know we've had good corporate governance for um you know multiple years before before going public uh including uh an investment committee where we where we look over all proposed acquisitions in in a lot of detail uh with a lot of uh, investment in, in and tree experience on this board i'll turn it back to to richard for a, a few uh takeaways and then um you know we're we're open to questions Thanks, Simon. (laughs)
1: So, uh, you know, we're acquiring these small technology companies in markets with large TAMs, and there's plenty of supply. Um, This is worth noting. We continue to have a strong M&A pipeline, even though we haven't been as active uh, in the last six months. And that's because we're building relationships with these founders, and none of them are in a hurry. So, uh, you know, we we build a good pipeline. It's not time sensitive. And then uh, our management team has proven now after 13 acquisitions that we can uh, buy these companies, integrate them and start to grow them. And we're really excited about the the opportunities in our three larger verticals that we're investing in to get accelerated growth leading into our next round of acquisitions. I think that's the formal part of the presentation. Am I right? Perfect.
0: Well, perfect. Well, thank you. Um, great job, guys. Um, a couple questions right off the bat. Um, you know, the the economy is starting to slow down, or the fear is that the economy is slowing down. Um, we've seen certainly in the in the public markets, the valuations of a lot of these these software tech companies have come down. Are, are you seeing um, sort of better pricing? Um, are are vendors a little bit more? Um, You know, willing to negotiate price. What are you seeing as far as the sort of the pricing environment out there?
1: Uh, It's a good question. Uh, We're already at the lower end of the range. So, you know, once you're in the four to six times EBITDA, we're not seeing a significant decrease from that. If you get much lower than that, oftentimes founders won't sell. So, you know, founders in these kind of businesses that are profitable are selling uh, if they get the right deal they want and if they're ready. Uh, we're generally not talking to people who are retiring within a year and have to sell. Mm-hmm. So I would say that in our four to six times range, we're tending more towards four to five now, but we're not going down to two to three. There, there isn't any fire sales uh, in, in the kind of companies we're targeting. Right,
0: perfect. Um, and, and then, I mean, you've already mentioned that you're sort of down at the the part of the market where there's not a lot of competition, but who do you usually see as a potential competing bidder?
1: Um, It's an interesting question because oftentimes nobody and and really our biggest competition is the founder deciding not to sell. So the hardest thing with these small deals is getting them to close because they can always say, you know what, I'm not happy with this. I'm going to wait another couple of years and collect cash. Mm -hmm. Uh, As I said, we're not in too many auctions because of the, the lower end of the market we're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that the odd time um, a strategic in the form of a distributor or a business partner might be bidding. Uh, I mean, we've come across constellation once, uh, but not very much. So it's sort of a mixed bag, but I think usually because we're creating these deals and developing them, um, a lot of founders have said, you know, when I got the call from you know the founder of TLN, I took his call and talked to him and talked to you and you know understand what you did. And, and then two years later, we did a deal instead of getting an email a week from private equity or consolation or strategic, I want to buy your business. So um, so we're really trying to cultivate those relationships so that when they sell and they're ready to sell, that they're engaged with us. And the other thing we do around that, as I mentioned earlier about channel partnerships, we oftentimes partner with them in the interim. So if, if either party is not ready to transact, there's going to be some synergies there, particularly on cross-selling. So we ought to look at doing value-added reseller agreements with them to start selling their products or selling ours through their channel, mm-hmm. getting closer together, proving the value, proving an earn out can work. And then when it's time to sell, we're even more likely to be the acquirer.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and then, I mean, I obviously noticed that a number of companies are international. Um, how, how do you go and find your
1: deals uh, all around the world? Well, the, uh, the UK ones, one of them came from the relationship I had at Symbility, our, our channel partner innovation group. Two gentlemen from there went and started Broadwood, so that's how I found out about that. Um, the DocMoto deal um, was an agent that found us, um, I think just online, and then we inherited UK business through Skillshare, um, one of the e-learning companies uh, that had a UK group of customers. Um, so those really sort of, uh, came to us and, and somewhat Mm happenstance, but our main focus is founders going, finding other founders and bringing us deals that way. But, uh, and I also, I, you know, part of the reason we're in the UK, that that's where we had our most success is ability in terms of growth and profitability. And it's a very good technology market. If you can get in there and, and, you know, we do have some, some relationships there.
0: Mm -hmm. And Richard, when, when you're looking at these deals, um, I imagine there's a a number of different reasons that you would would sort of, uh, you know, turn away from, but is there any one or two big reasons?
1: Like what what usually stops the deal from happening? Um, That's a really good question. Um, I mean, we're, we're, as we're focusing on our larger verticals, we're refining our criteria and, and, you know, versus the early days where we're just trying to get in some verticals. Now we're looking at pieces that fit. So some things you look at, Just may not fit in the strategy for a vertical. But I think generally, um, you know, one of the gaps, even with earnouts, is founders have a certain number in their head. And some of them are very unrealistic. And you just can't do a deal, even if you have an earnout, because they're just unrealistic. So that happens to us a lot. And then, um, you know, other times too, we have founders who, you know, the way we approach it is so what's your number? My number is X. Well, I can't pay that much unless your cost structure is different. You know, if you're prepared to adjust your cost structure, then your EBITDA goes up and I pay on EBITDA, and you know, I can hit your price. So we found that some founders are on for that, want to go for that, and then others aren't. And so that can result in not doing a deal as well. Um, but usually, as we build relationships over time, we kind of get to know what the founders want and need, and, and we're getting better at that as we go, quite
0: frankly. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at the number of acquisitions you've done to date, what 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 have you done really well? Maybe, maybe a specific deal that you've done very well. And then the flip side, what, where do you think that you've, you've maybe made a, mistake, a misstep of some kind?
1: Well, I think really well, as we're proving it out, um, I think that the learning network as a vertical strategy is a good one. Um, I think that these individual small businesses can't grow the way the group's gonna grow, can't respond to RFPs and, and get into larger companies, can't cross sell on their own. So I think that buying these smaller assets, combine them into one, and then focusing on growth strategies is uh, something we do well. And we're now you know, doing that informally with uh, Power and Social 5. We haven't combined any companies, but they are working very closely together. And would expect to do that over time with Kesson as we look at acquisitions there. I think that some of the businesses are taking more work to get where we want, some of the smaller ones, so uh, Assured Software, for example, it's taken us some time to get a strategy in place, and, and that one really got hit by COVID a lot because it's, it's selling software to uh, restoration contractors, and, and they weren't particularly hit hard during COVID, but we've now got a strategy around um, getting insurance carriers interested in some of our technology and That's where I had all my success at stability, selling technology to the carriers as opposed to the contractors. So we've got the right management in, we've got the right strategy, we're piloting some opportunities with some carriers. So I think that one's taken longer to get where it needs to go. Uh, But I think the theme with all these businesses and and part of it comes from my restructuring background. You know, it's not, if you're gonna create value, it's how long it takes. And then I think that uh, if we can get a company bigger, like we put a bunch of pieces together, we can get there a bit faster, but inherently uh, some just need a bit more work and you get it there when you get it there.
0: Mm, Gotcha.
1: And then, you know, what, what, what do you see as the
0: biggest challenge you face in the business? Sort of like what, what keeps you up at night?
1: Um, I think that, uh, you know, we have debt service requirements and interest rates have gone up and uh, you know, that puts uh, more pressure on us than, uh, than otherwise. Um, I think that impacts of a recession is it going to continue we haven't seen specific clients cut things back but we do see clients deferring and taking a bit longer to do projects so um but i think really what i'd like to see and doesn't keep me up at night but it's my main concern uh there's two parts to it. one is making us get more liquidity in the stock because there's not a lot of liquidity irrespective of share price and then secondly with a better market and and hopefully um us getting out there into forums like this, um, putting up results, getting our share price up so that we can do more m and and do accretive deals. So, uh, you know, that's, that's our focus for this year is to get to that place. And then along the way, hopefully recessions and interest rates and inflation don't uh, frustrate our progress. Mm-hmm.
0: And then, Richard, as the investors sort of looking in the, the business uh, more or less for the first time, what, what do you think are the key metrics or maybe catalysts that we should be watching out for to, to sort of determine how uh, you know how best to, to see if you're um, you know executing in your business plan?
1: Yeah, I think that that's a really good question. So historically, it would have been the velocity of acquisitions. And then, as I said, we've slowed that down and we're focusing on growth. So I think that to me, in the in the next uh, for this year, for the next three quarters, um, seeing the growth occurring in e-commerce and edtech and uh, e-learning, seeing that our investment strategies are working out and that we can accelerate growth, I think that's uh, very important. Uh, we'll do our other acquisition, as Simon said, but the reason that's important to me is when the market comes back and um, when our share price gets up so that we can do m a we wanna be able to show this playbook where you buy the little companies, you put them together, you support management with the novel investments, and then you accelerate growth. And then we go back to market. We wanna do that again and rinse and repeat. So I think this is the key piece that we're now proving out where, as I said before, it was rule of 40, almost all acquisition and, and a little bit of organic growth, but more of an afterthought. I think if we can combine accelerated growth once we get the businesses together and then do m and I think that's a really strong combination and, and somewhat unique versus some of the other consolidators out there. So I think watching our progress this year uh, along that uh, would be what I'd be focused on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, fantastic. Um, listen, I've, I've
0: sort of uh, ended my questions here. Is there any sort of key message or key takeaway you want to make sure that everybody walks away with today?
1: Yeah, I think that um, when you look at our company, because of the businesses we're buying, we're profitable. We have cash on hand. We're not looking to raise money because we need to. When we raise money, when the share price supports it, it's to do accretive acquisitions. So, you know, versus some of our peers of a similar size, I think we're in a very strong position. And as I said, I think that um, we are are fortunate in our skill set at management where we can toggle between accelerated acquisition growth versus accelerated organic growth. And then, as we prove that out, I think it's a very unique offering versus our peers. And uh, and I think people will want to invest in going forward. Well, fantastic. Well, listen, appreciate the
0: time you spent with us today. We've been speaking with CEO Richard Adair and CFO Simon Janakis, uh, both with Pluribus Technology Symbols, P L R B, on the venture exchange. Guys, thanks for joining us today and look forward to catching up with you guys soon. Thanks, everyone, for your time. Appreciate it.